You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Uh, We're wrapping up today a a topical series. I don't preach topically. If you haven't ever heard me preach before, I almost never preach topically. Um, I'm a book-by-book preacher, so I open a Bible, I open to a book in the Bible, and we preach through it. And when I get to the end of it, and that may be in four weeks or it may be in 40 weeks, but when we get to the end, then we say we're done, we all take a breath, and then we jump right into the next one. But um, I took a sabbatical this summer, uh, early this summer, came back with an idea, said let's go through the basics of our faith. I think if we get the basics right, everything else is easier to do. If we get the basics wrong, we can be real busy doing the wrong stuff, and everyone will look and say, you're doing good, you're, you're active, you're doing stuff, but if the basics aren't right, if the foundation's right, not right, you know, the whole thing kind of doesn't structure well, and eventually it will collapse. So we've been focusing on the basics of our faith. The first basic of our faith that we looked at was God. Who is God? He's good. He's creator. He's sovereign. He has all of these attributes, and like he loves us, which brings us to who are we? We're loved by God. We're special to God. We're made in the image of God, but even with all of those things, we broke it all, right? Genesis chapter 3, crafty snake, crafty ladies, um, got together and, and the whole thing broke, right? The creation broke in a moment. The whole thing fell apart. And, and so there was this brokenness in the whole Bible, the entirety of the story of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 um, until the, the resurrection of Christ, death, burial, resurrection of Christ at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Picture picture poison there, I guess. Um, is a story about how will this brokenness, this sin sickness, this curse be removed from us. You know, the song Joy to the World, which I have been convicted, is not just a Christmas-only song. That was a gift from Elaine Simpson, right? It's a song we can sing year-round. One of the verses that's rarely sang um, says, you know, we have joy to the world, right? Because as far as the curse is found, it's been removed. What a, what a beautiful beautiful thing that that, that, that that the work of Christ destroys the curse of sin. And so we focused on that next thing. Who is Jesus? What did he do? It was God in the flesh. He came to make a bridge for us between God and man. He lived a perfect, sinless life so that we could have eternal life. And so we talked a little bit about that and what it means to believe in Jesus and how faith is foundational to who we are. Then we turned our eyes to the, the nature of the Holy Spirit, how he draws us, convicts us, um, persuades us. He's the thing inside of us that, that pushes the believer, right, pushes the believer towards godliness, right? He's the, he's the thing inside of us. It's God's uh, spirit given to every believer so that we can discern right from wrong. When we read the Bible, we can discern what the Bible says. Uh, when we hear someone talking about scriptural things, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, that's not right. Right? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but I've been there, right? And someone says something, and I can't point to a verse immediately and say, well, this is where this is wrong, but I'm like, that's not right. Um, and so the Holy Spirit works in our lives to do that sort of work. And when we sin, the Holy Spirit's like, no. And we're like, yeah, I'm still going to do that. But we feel the Holy Spirit like prodding us, don't trod off the path that God has laid for us. And so the Holy Spirit is working daily with us. Jesus himself said, it's good that I leave because the Holy Spirit will be with you always. 
right? And so we're, we're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit walks with the believer. Wherever we go, He is there with us. And we turn our eyes to the church, the nature of the church. What is the church? It's, a, it's an organization, right, that exists, the bride of Christ that exists um, for, for, for breaking of bread, for fellowship, for equipping the saints. And so we, we, we saw like there's this teaching aspect of the church, there's a fellowship aspect of the church, and there's a family aspect to the church, right? We, we walk this path together. What a wonderful thing that you don't have to walk the Christian life alone. What a wonderful thing that it's not so localized that it's only here, right? When you move from here, right, you're not out of the church, right? You're, you may be gone from First Baptist Church Rockdale, but you can unite yourself with another group of believers who are walking the path that's in front of them, right? What a wonderful thing that is because the Christian life is difficult and it's impossible to do alone. You cannot do it alone. And so we're called to be in this thing, and you are vital. That was last week's sermon. You are vital to what God is doing, right? We're all specific parts of Christ's bride's body. We're all members of, 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 of this body uh, of believers, and you have a purpose, and you fit just right. And so we need you to do your part inside of Christ's kingdom, and we probably, as I said last week, need to stop dividing Christ's kingdom up into 75 different churches in one town of 5,000, pull some of them together so that the body doesn't look like a caricature that you would get down on Galveston Island, where you got a big old head and tiny little legs, or big old legs and a tiny little head. We need the church, I, I believe fully, the Bible says, right, that he's gifted, the Spirit has gifted the church with everything that it needs. And then we take that gifting, which has everything that we need, and we just segregate it out and divide it up into 100 different places. We pocket people here, and we pocket people there, and, 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 and we clump together, because that's what we do as people. We clump together. That was the problem, by the way. I, this is for free, so enjoy this. <laughs> right after, after the flood, we were supposed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. We were supposed to go fill the whole, whole earth. What did we do immediately? Well, I mean, we got drunk and like, whatever. But after we got drunk and had like a cursing of our grandchildren moment in, in, in Genesis chapter 9, you get the story of the Tower of Babel. It's kind of a weird story. Like, what's going on? The problem is God said, go across the whole world. And the people said, no, we're going to clump together. And we just clumped all together. That's what we do. We, we're clumpers. That's how God made us. We're community organized. So he had to fling us across the world because we wouldn't do it on our own. And so that's, that was the Tower of Babel experience. We got flung across the world. We couldn't talk to each other. We had to settle in different areas. And now we clump in those groups. We think alike. We look alike. We smell alike. Um, I don't know if we all smell alike. Some of us smell and some of us, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but we, we just clump. And, and so we've got to be careful not to do that in a way that harms the body. And so I think we need to be personal about bringing some of this body back together because I believe that there are people in Rockdale, Texas that are missing from uh, every single church in Rockdale, Texas. There is a type of person missing from every church because we've taken these people and we've shoved them in different places, my church included. And so we need to be uh, forward thinking about how it can look to bring some of the body back together. Maybe we can't ever do this together, but how can we do something together? How can we pull the body together to do the work that God has called us to do. So we looked at the church. You have a role in the church. You're vital for what the church is supposed to do. And so now we know about the church. That is where we stand today. We are in the church age, as the dispensationalists would say. That is the season that we live inside of. The church is where we live. Right? The church is a part 
of, of the, 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 I don't know, it's where we are in history. But it's not the end. So today we're going to look at the end. What comes next? We're doing this in one week, so don't expect the most exhaustive course on eschatology that you'll ever receive. But what comes next? And to find that, we're going to flip to Matthew chapter 24. If you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, okay? Malachi ends the Old Testament. Matthew starts the New. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? That'll get you pretty close to where you need to be. Matthew chapter 24 is near the end of, uh, of the book of Matthew. Um, we're approaching... Um, the very last uh, part of Jesus' life. And uh, Jesus is giving some final instructions to his disciples before he's going to go to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. And so you've got to think those final instructions are kind of important. Imagine, right, your mom is about to go out of town. You're a teenager. She's going to leave you for a weekend, your first weekend off. And before she leaves, she gives you like a, a little pet. Hey, mom is here today, by the way. My mom is back there today. Good to see you, mom. Um, my daughter turned 18, so uh, you can tell it's here. Happy birthday as well later. That's why I've got family kind of gathered around me today. But uh, she's hiding in the sound booth, literally hiding at one point there, which was great. Um, but, 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 you know, like when my parents would leave, and they would leave us often because they really just didn't want to be around us, I guess. I don't know. Um, but when my, and they, my, my mom and dad both worked, and so... You know, when they would leave us, they'd say, hey, here's what you need to do. And, and those last instructions were, were pretty much the most important things that they could say. And if we didn't do those final things when they came home, there was usually less than pleasant consequences for us on the back end of that. So Jesus is giving these final instructions. If it's the last thing that Jesus is saying, kind of the final words he's saying before he goes to the cross, let's lean in a little bit and see what it is. I hope you're there. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 36. This is what Jesus says uh, when speaking about the final things. He says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as we were, uh, as were the days of Noah, so will the, be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one left. We'll stop there first of all. Okay, so the, the, the first thing that we see about the, the imminent return of Christ, when he talks about that day in the very first verse that I read there, that day is the day that Jesus is coming Back. We see that day, uh, it's called the great day of the Lord, right? It's the fulfillment of some of the Old Testament prophecies that have been partially realized in the first coming of Christ and will be fully realized in the second coming of Christ. We read about it in the book of Revelation, right? And it's a little bit uh, maybe, maybe difficult there at times, but you get the gist. If you just read the book of Revelation, you get the gist. Like there's going to be this king that's going to come and all the forces of evil are going to be vanquished, right? And that is what we look for. We have a season every year where we wait for the return of the king, right? That's the Advent season, right before Christmas. We wait for Jesus' return before we celebrate his first coming at Christmas. We celebrate that he's coming again. We, we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And, and so we need to know, the first thing you need to know, that Christ will surely return. And his return will be sudden and unexpected by a whole lot of people. 
He will surely return. It is not debatable. He, not, he, he might come back, right? Like, 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 you know, here's... I don't know. I'll pass on that story. Okay. Uh, sometimes I start a story, and then I see where it's going to go, and I say, that's not edifying to the body. Let's follow that one back away, and we'll rework it. So, uh, so he, he's surely going to come. Right? He, he, he's not gonna, he's not, not gonna come. And so we know it's a certainty. As certain as the sun rising day by day is the return of Christ. And so with that certain knowledge that he's going to come, we need to be ready, but his return will be sudden and it will be unexpected by one. That means that there's not necessarily gonna be like three months of preparatory time that you're like, oh, hey, I see like Jesus, you know, I can see him out there in outer space kind of coming towards me. we got a telescope trained on him. That looks like Jesus, right? At the pace he's coming, he'll be here in three months. Or, okay, I better get ready. i got three months to get Jesus home. You know, we have tracking apps on our phone now. That's uh, Big Brother, a little scary there, right? But I've got them on my family because I want to know where they are, right? And so like, I can look and be like, where are, where are my kids right now? What are they doing? right now where are they at how fast are they driving right and i can see them across the world my wife will, will be going to missouri i've got it on her phone too because you got to keep that lady in line and so i joke she's she's it's really just so she can watch me i think uh but so I'm, I'm 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 watching her drive driving home at 95 miles an hour and i'm thinking that doesn't seem safe at all no that's not true she, she drives almost the speed limit now uh been bit a few times no yeah, we're going to have a conversation later. I feel it. Okay. Uh, but I can watch her. She can be across the world. I can see her coming. I have preparation time. And so it says, hey, she's going to be here, it estimates, like in like two hours. And I'm like, okay, time to get the house clean. Right? I got two hours. Let's clean this mess up. I've been throwing pizza boxes all over the house. It's time to sweep the floor and get things ready. Right? I don't want to, her to come home to a mess. Jesus' return isn't going to be like that. Right? You're not going to have a ton of notice. Now, there are signs and birth pangs, and there are things, if you just read the news today, like there are signs that the world is aching for the return of Christ. Like It's ready. Uh, if someone says, well, well, what has to be fulfilled? And like I'm not the strongest, like, like I've said this before, gun to my head, put my eschatology down. I'm probably like a pre-trib dispensationalist. If you don't know what that means, good for you. Um, that's probably what I am, but I hold it with a pretty open hand. Because, like, I, I see some other options that are biblically appropriate, and, like, the Bible doesn't give me enough to feel just certain, like I am about his certain return. But what I do know is, like, there's enough stuff going on out there that, like, if Jesus wants to come now, like, the world is ready for judgment. <laughs> like, we are, we're ripe for the king to return. It is a ripe moment for Jesus to come back. And so his return, it's going to be sudden. A lot of people aren't going to be ready for it, but it's going to be a sudden thing. It's going to happen out of nowhere uh, for, from a lot of people's perspective. Uh, and it's going to be unexpected for those who don't know what to think. It should not be unexpected for the church. You should long for the day of the return of your king. You should not, you should not be so busy building this kingdom here and so interested in what you're going to do nine months from now or nine years from now that you lose sight of the king's return is uh, the most important thing on your calendar. It is the thing that should drive the other things that we do. His return is coming. It is the oldest prayer in the church. Come, Lord Jesus, 
come. It is, it is the cry of the heart of the believer that Christ would come back because this world, as wonderful as it can be at times for us, is not our home. And until the king returns, it will always be plagued with brokenness and death and pain. But I walked the path, I mean, I walked the path this, this week with, with the Hoffmeyers and with the veterans of the loss of a mother and a wife, right, right? The pain is real. This world is broken. And she lived a wonderful, long, full life, but it's real. Right? And then we see, we see the opposite, where it's, it's short and it's snuffed out. And, and we're thinking, oh my goodness, the pain is just real. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the cry of the heart. It's going to be unexpected for many, but it should not be unexpected for you. His return is certain. And if he says he's coming, you should prepare, which is the rest of the passage. Verse 42. He says, therefore, because he's come is certain, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So since his return is certain, you must be ready. You must be awake. You must be mindful that this thing, this return, is happening. Right? It, it's on the program of things that are going to happen. And we should expect it to happen in our lives. And, and I understand, like, if you lived in the 1400s, it, you, Jesus didn't return in your life. You're like, man, I mean, they thought he was coming then. And, right? I mean, Paul clearly believed that Jesus was returning in his life. He felt compelled that, that Christ's return was imminent. You know why that is? Because it's always imminent. His return is at any moment, like a thief in the night, right? I had that at my house. I had a car parked in my front yard, and then it just drove off in the middle of the night. That was unfortunate, by the way. It was found in Austin, if anyone wants the end of that story. It was found in Austin, a little beat up, and uh, we've learned some lessons. We've learned some lessons. Yes? Good. Okay. The lesson, by the way, is don't leave the keys in the car with it unlocked. Okay, that's the lesson that you need to learn about how to keep your car from getting easily stolen. Um, <laughs> right, that's the end of that story there for you. But, like, like, like it was unexpected. I, I, went, I went to bed on Monday night. I woke up Tuesday morning to take my trash to the curb, and I'm like, I'm missing something in my driveway. Right, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it, and then boom, like a thief in the night, it just happened. This will be Jesus' return for a whole lot of people. But we know he's coming. So stay awake, stay alert. Be on your ready, right? Be found ready for his return. Just as you would be when your mother returned from wherever or your father returned from whatever. It's probably a good time to tell the penny story. I don't have time for it. But just say, I got caught throwing pennies around my house one time with my brother. Good job, Lewis. And, uh, and then my dad came home early. We got in trouble, substantial trouble. Thank you, dad, for that. We got in substantial trouble my mom comes home, appropriate time, as she should, when the house would have been clean. The house is eerily silent. She says, what happened? She goes to my room, Matt, what happened here in this place? It's like a massacre had occurred. What happened in this place? I said, Dad came home early. That was my answer. I was 12 years old, probably, and it was the right answer. I didn't expect him to come home. I was unprepared for the arrival of my father. And I experienced the consequences of my lack of preparation. I was found 
in a shameful position at the arrival of my father. Broom in hand, pennies being swept. Right? I was found in a shameful position. Many of us need to know that, that we need to be prepared for the arrival of Christ. We need to not be found in a shameful position as his arrival. It is certain to come. And so don't, don't be behaving shamefully. How embarrassing would that be? The worst thing you've done this week. I don't want to know what it is. Let's not testify. But whatever that is, and to be found in that position at the sound and the arrival of Jesus Christ. Shameful. For me, shameful. Like, oh, how embarrassing. Be ready. Be on your guard. Don't, don't, don't rest. Not, not don't go to sleep ever, but don't rest on the mission that God has placed you on. Continue to serve in the body of, as in the bride of Christ to be prepared, a bride adorned for her husband. Right? We're supposed to be ready and beautiful for the arrival of Christ. Verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food, uh, their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Blessed are you if you're doing that. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. My master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and he eats and drinks with the drunks. The master of the servants will come on a day when he doesn't expect him. And an hour that he doesn't know. And he will cut him into pieces. Ouch. And put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be a winnowing one day of, the, of this visible church. There will be a winnowing of those people who profess Christ but do not know Christ. The wheat and the tares who have grown together in Christ's kingdom uh, since the very beginning. And at the return of, of the Son, when Jesus comes, when the Master comes, right, some will be there fruitful, producing, doing what a disciple of Christ does. Making other disciples, loving their neighbor well, showing people the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Warning those who are wayward, encouraging those who are struggling, and, and, and exhorting everyone else along the path to keep on going. And Christ will reward those people with blessings untold. But for the tares, the goats, my goats over here. No, no, I don't, that's really rude. I apologize, mostly. Right, but, but for the goats, the tares, those who look like they should be in the kingdom, they've been a part of the church, they've done the church thing, they've taught Sunday school, they've attended worship, they sing the songs, but they've never committed their lives to following Jesus Christ. They've never truly trusted in Jesus for their sins. They put on a show for the world to see, but never surrendered their lives to, to obedience to Jesus Christ. Christ will immediately come and separate them. And, and it looks ugly, right? Cutting them into pieces and putting them with the hypocrites will be gnashing of teeth. The truth is judgment will be certain and sudden and sure. And I don't want you to be found in that position. My testimony is pretty simple. Um, I was raised in church. By the grace of God, God gave me parents who loved the Lord. They raised me in church. I was eight years old. I walked the aisle because eight-year-olds are supposed to walk the aisle. I walked the aisle at eight years old. I talked to the pastor uh, later on in his office. I answered all of his questions. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. What, is, what, what, what did he do? He died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. I knew the story because I was raised in the story. 
Praise God for those parents who raised their kids in the story, by the way. I was raised in the story. I loved the Bible. The first book that I can remember reading, I guarantee it's not the first book I read because I must have read Hop on Pop or something. But the first book that I, in my mind, I'm like, I read that was the book of Jonah. I was so proud. Like I completed my little Bible with Jesus. It was the, I don't know, whatever. A lot of you probably had the same Bible that I'm talking about, but it was an NIV Bible. I read the book of Jonah. I was like six and I was like, oh my goodness, I just read an entire book. It's four chapters, but like it was impressive. I'm so proud of myself. I can remember the feeling, right? I love the story. But I didn't know Jesus. I knew what I was supposed to do, and I knew about Jesus. And so, and so I can answer the questions. I can Bible trivia through the, the pastor's conversation, and, and, and he did a wonderful job trying to walk me through it. He did. He did exactly what, what, what he should have done. I was just a false convert. And so I got baptized, and then I lived the next seven years of my life just going to church and being like a decent, not good like fake Christian. So like I went to church and I went to youth group and I was like nice. And, but I, I got into like all the normal things that kids got into, dating girls that were stupid until I found my wife. Good job, me there. Um, but like, like, like I made all sorts of dumb choices. And then it was like I was sitting, where my brother's sitting now, the third aisle there, and uh, third pew. And like my, like just out of nowhere, some Sunday night revival that I went to because I was a Christian, like, God just hit me. Like, the gospel was shared for the millionth time to me, that Christ died for sinners, and it's only through surrendering your life to him, by putting your faith in him, that you can be found in Christ and have forgiveness from your sins. And it was nothing that I had never heard before, but it was like I had never heard it before. And God broke me on the third row at First Baptist Church, Sugarland, and he just broke who I was. And I just broke down. I don't cry. I started crying. My, my girlfriend at the time, not, not a winner, by the way. Fun story there. This is also free. Don't shake your head no at my fun story about my ex-girlfriends. I don't get many of those. She sang at my wedding. <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> how does that happen? You know how it happened? She goes to my fiancé and says, can I sing at your wedding? She said, my fiancé, wonderful woman, says, yes. That's how it happens. That was weird for me, standing up there holding hands with my soon-to-be wife, looking at my ex-girlfriend. That was free, has nothing to do with it, but I sit next to this girl, and like, I'm just crying, she's looking at me like, what happened to my boyfriend? Like, he just like, had a breakdown? Like, God just changed my life. And he did, I'm, I'm not the same person I was at 15. I, I have a moment of conversion. Like, I know when I was converted. You know, some of your stories are a little bit different, but I, I will say, there are a lot of people who think that they're Christians, because they know the Bible, and they know the story, and they've been in the church, and they've been here long enough, and so they think that they're a part of it. And I just want you to know, don't, don't trust, don't trust your knowledge, right? Trust in the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. And if you need to trust Jesus today, I don't care if you're 85 years old, you've been in church since you were six, today you need to give your life to Jesus. It's a good day to give your life to Jesus. Don't fight the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So if, you've got, if, you, if you're unconverted and you've been just in church, because those people exist, the tares exist in the church. They're not necessarily trying to do the wrong thing. It's a good day to be converted. Because when the master comes and finds those who are not supposed to be a part of his house, in his house, they will be removed forcefully from it. The return of Jesus is certain. It's sudden. It's sure. 
and we need to be ready for it. Are you ready for the return of Jesus today? That's the question. Are you ready for him to come back? Or do you have other things in your mind? When I say the prayer that you need to pray is, come, Lord Jesus, come, is your prayer, come, Lord Jesus, but after this. Right? But after I get married. Lord, come, come, but after I go on that vacation. Lord, come, but, but, but after uh, the start of school. Probably not. Y'all are ready now <laughs> for Jesus to come, my teacher. So I know it's, today's a good day. Okay, come, Lord Jesus, come. Does that prayer make you uncomfortable? For the people in your life who are unconverted, it should. There are people that, that are in your life ooh, that, don't know, that don't know Jesus. And when you say, come, Lord Jesus, come, you're saying, come now. That means there's people that will be missing out should drive you to evangelism, by the way, right? But, but we need to be comfortable asking Jesus to come. Today we're going to celebrate the first coming of Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross, where he, he, he took on our sins and he took on uh, the consequences for sin. He bore death's sting so that we don't have to bear that ourselves. We're going to celebrate that together. And then we're going to ask Jesus to come quickly because that is the heart's cry of every Christian. Let me pray.